Welcome to the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast with host Rod Meldrum. This week's supplemental study is on Lesson 2 of the Come Follow Me manual. It will discuss 1 Nephi chapters 1-7 through called I Will Go and Do. Our host Rod Meldrum features guests Mike and Betty LaFontaine from Jacksonville, Florida. Welcome to another episode of the Come Follow Me uh, podcast that we're doing for Book of Mormon Evidence. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, lesson number two, which is 1 Nephi chapters 1 through 7. And so our assumption again is, is that you've already read the manual and, uh, and have gone through that on your own. Uh, the objective of these, uh, of these podcasts is to give you additional information and additional resources that you can go to to make this year the most powerful year you've ever had in researching and, uh, and learning more about the Book of Mormon. Uh, one of the things that we're, that we're going to be talking about throughout all of these podcasts are evidences. And I've had so many people over the course of time who've said, you know, it doesn't really matter about evidences or, or, or where the Book of Mormon happened or those kinds of things because the only thing that really matters is that the Book of Mormon is true. I will have to say that uh, that is not exactly what the promise in Moroni or, or Moroni's promise there um, says. It says that we can know the truth of all things. Um, it's not about learning that, that the Book of Mormon is true. It's about learning the truths in the Book of Mormon. And so uh, when, we, when we look at that, we look at evidences, um, I've had a lot of people have said, well, you know, why, why do you worry about the evidences? What, what does it matter as far as the evidences? Don't you have faith? Personally, I think it shows a lack of faith if we're not looking for the evidences. And, uh, and we had a most wonderful um, talk that was given actually by Elder Jeffrey R. Holland at BYU uh, not too long ago. And I want to share with you some of this because I've never really seen an apostle of the Lord actually address the, uh, the, the reason for evidence for the Book of Mormon. Now, there are some people who can believe just on faith, and that's wonderful. There are some people who need to have more um, concrete uh, foundations upon which to, to build their testimonies. And for those people, we want to, uh, that, that's one of the things we want to do in these, uh, in these podcasts, is to share evidences that strengthen our understanding of the Book of Mormon. You know, I'm reminded a little bit about uh, when we were in the pre-existence with our Heavenly Father. We were as spirits, and spirits don't die. <laughs> so we were going to live forever with our Heavenly Father. Why, why did we have to come here to this earth then? Uh, well, we had to come here to receive a body, right? And if we go to the, uh, when we understand the scriptures, basically, um, this body, what's so great about having a body? <laughs> I mean, it just gets old, and I mean, your hair falls out, you get wrinkly, and and saggy, and, and, and then pretty soon you become diseased and you die. So what's so great about all that? Well, I can't tell you what's so great about all that necessarily, but I can tell you this. Brothers and sisters, we can't become like our Heavenly Father is without one. Apparently it's not enough just to have a spirit. You have to have the spirit in conjunction with the physical body, and when the spiritual and the physical come together, the Lord calls that a, a fullness of joy. And just like this in the Book of Mormon, for a lot of times people have just prayed about the Book of Mormon, received a, physical, or a, a spiritual confirmation of its truthfulness. But what if we could en enhance that and increase that by showing forth the physical evidence that supports it? 
so that the spiritual truths can testify of the physical reality of the book. It is a real history of real people and real places and real events. But also the, the physical reality of the people, places, and events testify that the spiritual portions of the book are in fact true and that they are a historical record and that God has his dealings with man uh, over the course of, uh, of, of these centuries. So, um, so in, in taking a look at this, uh, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland had really just some, some fantastic things to say. It was, a, it was in, in, uh, in a uh, conference to celebrate the, the discovery of chiasms. And we'll, we're going to discuss that in later episodes. But, uh, but this is actually what he said. He said, The presiding officers of the church appreciate and applaud the exceptional work being done by so many to search and to substantiate, to defend and promulgate the history and doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, including and especially the Book of Mormon in ways both scholarly and spiritual. He said, Some of the agencies, departments, institutes, and scholars doing such work are integral to BYU. But then he also said there are other groups and like-minded colleagues who are not part of the university per se, but may be nearby or spread out throughout the church or around the church. He says, our heartfelt thanks go to all of you wherever you are. He said it should be noted that truly rock-ribbed faith and uncompromised convictions comes with its most complete power when it engages our head as well as our heart. To Oliver Cowdery specifically, the Lord said, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Behold, this is the spirit of revelation. And that, uh, he then goes to define that. He says that definition makes it clear that truth born by the Holy Spirit comes with, in effect, two manifestations, two witnesses, if you will. The force of facts as well as the force of feelings. And that is such an important aspect of this. Peter assumed that twofold aspect of our conviction when he said, Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Such a beautiful statement here by 1 Peter. We should have and be prepared and ready to offer answers to people when they have questions, especially as it relates to the, the cornerstone of our religion, the Book of Mormon. In making our case for the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, I believe that God intends us to find and use the evidence He's given. Reasons, if you will, which affirm the truthfulness of His work. In fact, here in Helaman chapter 5, verses 49 and 50, it says that the more part of the Lamanites were convinced of them. Why? Because of the greatness of the evidences which they had received. So these evidences are a critical part of conversion. President Holland actually gave another, uh, another example of when, when Christ um, resurrected from the tomb, he showed himself to Mary and also to Peter. Mary and Peter then went and they told the other disciples, he's risen, he's no longer in the tomb. He did like he, like he prophesied he was going to. And unfortunately, his disciples didn't believe the messengers that he'd sent. So in this particular case, Elder Holland goes on to say, he says, the message is that if members of the Godhead go to the trouble of providing, quote, many infallible proofs, unquote, of truth, then surely we are honor bound to affirm and declare that truth and men may be upbraided if we do not. So um, that is the first time I've ever heard an apostle say that we may be actually chastised or upbraided 
if we are not looking for many infallible proofs of truth. And that's what we are uh, endeavoring to do in these podcasts. This is one of the most uh, succinct statements I think I've ever seen about this, uh, in this, in this vein here. It says, our testimonies aren't dependent on evidence. We still need that spiritual confirmation in the heart of which we've spoken. But not to seek for and not to acknowledge intellectual, documentable support for our belief when it's available is to needlessly limit an otherwise incomparably strong theological position and deny us a unique persuasive vocabulary in the latter-day arena of religious investigation and sectarian debate. Absolutely beautiful words. Um, he then, there's a uh, Austin Farr. Um, he said this, he said, though argument does not create conviction, lack of it, or lack of argument, destroys belief. What seems to be proved may not be embraced, but what no one shows the ability to defend is quickly abandoned. Rational argument does not create belief, but it maintains a climate in which belief may flourish. Helaman chapter 8, verse 24 says, And now ye know these things and cannot deny them because of the many evidences which ye have received. Yea, even ye have received all things, both things in heaven and all things which are in the earth, as a witness that they are true. One of my very favorite statements of Joseph Smith after, after the, the first vision account is that he, uh, in fact, I've asked um, audiences all over the, 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 the world actually this question. Which is greater, faith or knowledge? And most, most members of the church will actually say that faith is greater than knowledge until I remind them of that early spring morning back in 1820 when a young man entered a grove of trees in New York and there asked God if he could have a prayer answered. And the resulting vision that he received caused him to say this, which is one of my favorite statements of Joseph Smith. He said, I knew it, and I knew that God knew it, and I could not deny it. You notice that he didn't say that he had faith in it, because he had now knowledge. And in section 32, in the doc, or, or in Alma chapter 32, about, about faith, it talks about that, uh, that faith is what you begin with. When you plant the seed, you plant the seed and you, and you see if it grows. Once the seed grows and you see it actually growing, then your faith becomes dormant because you know. So knowledge actually trumps faith, but you have to continue to have faith in other things because you only have knowledge in that one area. So, uh, so this, is what this, uh, this is what evidence is about, and this is why we are hoping to strengthen testimonies and show forth the evidences to the world about this. And so uh, in closing, uh, Elder Holland said this, May our Father in Heaven bless us and an ever larger cadre of young scholars around the church to do more and more to discover and delineate and declare the reasons for the hope that is in us, that like those converted Lamanites, we may with bold conviction hold up to a world that desperately needs it, the greatness of the evidences which we have received especially of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon, the keystone of our religion. And with that, he closed. My, my brothers and sisters who are watching this, the, these podcasts, I uh, want to just share with you just a few more thoughts, or a few thoughts about the, the, the first seven chapters of the Book of Mormon. Uh, we've already discussed the introduction pages and the testimonies and so forth. 
One of those is that uh, at the very beginning of the, the first book of Nephi, chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, I, Nephi. So now we're going to uh, have a little clip from my dear friends Mike and Betty LaFontaine from Jacksonville, Florida, to uh, talk a little bit about the Native people and some of the cultural things that go along with this, just the first two words in the Book of Mormon. All right, we are glad to, uh, to have uh, with us um, my, my dear friends Mike and Betty LaFontaine. Betty is also known as Red Ant LaFontaine. And uh, they are joining us from, uh, from Florida, so we are grateful to have uh, them joining us. So, tonight, so what we'd like to do is uh, talk to you just a little bit about um, some of the... Uh, I want to read a little, a little part from the testimony of the Prophet Joseph Smith um, as it relates to um, Native peoples. And, uh, and so this is, this is from uh, page X, XV, which is uh, 15, in the annotated edition of the Book of Mormon. And it says, uh, this is Joseph Smith, he said, he, he said, there was a book deposited, written upon gold plates, giving an account of the former inhabitants of this continent and the source from which they sprang. Inf really important piece of information. The inhabitants of this continent... Now, there are those who have been uh, saying that th this continent also, you know, basically is all of North and South America, um, which, it, you know, it's been defined in different ways before. But there's also been, um, you know, that North America and South America have been defined as, as separate continents later on. Um, but when it talks about the inhabitants of this continent, uh, either way, uh, it's talking about the, the Aboriginal people that, were, that, that, have, that are here. And, uh, and one of the things I find is interesting is that if you go to the very beginning of the Book of Mormon, this is uh, so First Nephi chapter one, verse one. <laughs> okay, it starts off with two words, I Nephi. I and I'd like and I'd like to have uh, the, my my friends here uh, introduce themselves a little bit, and uh, and then make some comparisons between what is happening in the Book of Mormon and things that may actually be parallels in the native cultures. Yes, hey, hello, Rod. So glad to have uh, be with you, Mike and I. Um, first, I will introduce myself as a Navajo, a Diné. And you will find another Diné. You will always introduce yourself this way. Yes, hey, very red ant means yeah. Is other than Nasha, I see you for this cheese. Ask, uh, uh, we are, uh, I'm Betty Reda LaFontaine. I am come from the Red Bottom Clan people, which is my mother clan. And then I was born for the Salt Clan, which is my father's clan. The Yaani are my grandfathers. Kuditini are my grandmothers. And this is what makes me a Navajo, a Diné. And this has been a clan that I learned from a toddler when I began to speak. These are the clans that I was taught. It's a way of identifying who we are, where we came from. Actually, also genealogy-wise, it identifies who we are in our DNA that we'll run out. And, and I think it's so cool that you, you know, you brought up that Nephi, he introduces himself that way. And, and it's, it's just a beautiful thing because the, the Native people do that in, um, in different nations. And I say nations 
instead of tribes, we go by nations. All, all the nations or native tribes all introduce themselves that way. I did not grow up on a reservation. I'm considered an urban Indian, but my people will also introduce themselves in their native tongue, name their um, spirit animal or their spirit name or their totem and what clan they're from, and then where they came from, what area they came from. It's very interesting on Betty's clans. She said her clans in the, in the Navajo language, but you know, it's actually part of a reservation. You have the red bottom, red red clay bottom area. That's an actual area of the reservation. The uh, the, uh-huh. the uh, towering house people. That was one of them, wasn't it? Right. Towering house people came from my area, where is Crapley, New Mexico. They call that area towering house. Or the bitter bitter water. Bitter water people. There mm-hmm. there are over. In the beginning, there were over five hundred to six hundred different plants. But now that we've uh, gone more so we're um, we're not leaving you know the clan's not leaving but it's grown and it's kind of uh, I don't know how to explain Consol- it con- kind of consolidated consolidated yeah yeah more something like that and it's just um, <laughs> but people cl- we cling to those clans yeah. it's very important to <laughs> us and you know it, another thing about it it isn't a part of a religious thing. It isn't a part of a religious thing because some people think that that is part of the religion of the, the native people, but it isn't a religion thing. It's more of a um, sacred name, a mm-hmm. sacred place, a sacred part of people who you are identifies you. It goes throughout your life, and with the Navajos, it's a matriarchal thing. Wow. Yeah, well, basically, so in First Nephi, he starts off with, I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents. Yeah. Um, he's, he's already you know, talking about his, ans- his, uh, his ancestry, essentially, there. He says, therefore, I was taught somewhat in all the learning of my father. And uh, so, again, he's paying tribute to his ancestors here. As he, yeah. as he goes through this, which is, which is something that has apparently been passed down through generations um, to native peoples, you know, the, and, and all the way to to you as individuals, as you as you grew up on the Navajo uh, reservation. That's yeah, beautiful. and that's where we come together. We we learn that we are uh, sisters and brothers and uncles and aunties and grandmothers and grandfathers, and we all become one big family. And one thing that we cannot do is especially is we cannot marry, intermarry in those clans. We have to somehow decipher, which is sometimes hard for some of the people to do, is to not marry within those clans. Mm-hmm. Something I found interesting also, Mike and I, Lehi, um, he sent his sons back to Jerusalem to get the brass plates. And yeah. what was that brass plate? That was a record of the people. Yeah, Nephi, First Nephi three twelve, mm-hmm. and he desired of Laban the records which was engraven upon the plates of brass, which contained the genealogy of my father. So that was that was important. It's important to all civilizations <clears throat> to know who you are and where you came from. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that that probably brings me to one of my uh, one of the most important questions, and that is that um, when you have an understanding, as you do, about the Book of Mormon, and you understand about your heritage, um, how does that make you feel about the Book of Mormon? It, it brings it to life. It, be, it becomes more of a personal part of us. When we read the stories, we see the stories and <clears throat> try to place our forefathers in those different different lights. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it becomes a whole new light <clears throat> of who I am and where I came from. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I can't help myself from becoming emotional the book of mormon is uh is so important to the lamanite people it is what their fathers did and what their fathers did come here to lead them to to so that they could find out who they are and that it was interesting that it was left in a box in New York <laughs> on a hill. And they thought that that would be the place to, you know, of course, it was so sacred that they had to hide it. And until it was time for it to be uncovered. And when a Lamanite hears of these scriptures and they are told of the stories, it just becomes so personal to them and a testimony isn't just lit from there on and they become Lehi becomes their father and those in the scriptures become their their family so the Book of Mormon is so important when um, you hear you hear the stories and that's that Mike and I just love it well, and when you when you read in that, that I was I was just going to bring up this uh, in, doc, in in the uh, the doctrine and covenants in section three, the Lord tells us the purpose, and we talked about this in the first episode about some of the different purposes of the Book of Mormon. But as it relates to um, native people, it says in in, in uh, this is again uh, verse or or uh, section three and verse nineteen it says in this. Let's go. To, I'm going to go back to verse eighteen. It says, and this testimony shall come to the knowledge of the Lamanites and the Lemuelites and the Ishmaelites who dwindled in unbelief because of the iniquity of their fathers whom the Lord has suffered to destroy their brethren the Nephites because of their iniquities and their abominations. And for this very purpose are these plates preserved which contain these records that the promises of the Lord might be fulfilled which he has made to his people, the covenant people of God, and that the Lamanites might come to the knowledge of their fathers and that they might know the promises of the Lord, that they might believe the gospel and rely upon the merits of Jesus Christ and be glorified through faith in his name and that through their repentance they might be saved. And I just love that, that they, the main, one of the main purposes of the, of the preservation of these sacred plates was so that the remnant people that came over with Lehi and his family and, uh, and so forth would be able to know who they are and know that they are the covenant people of God. They are special because of this covenant that has been given to them and, and throughout all, all of history. So as far as when it comes down to then coming to a realization 
of being the covenant people of God, that is such a, a special blessing, a special, such a, an important thing. But how, how do you, uh, when, when you read the Book of Mormon then, uh, how does that knowledge really change your life? Oh my goodness. I have to tell you a, a short story. When I went on the Indian placement student student program, which was uh, put together during President Kimball when he was a prophet, I attended that when I was 10 years old, living on and off the reservation in foster families, members families. And the first first few months it was a struggle for me because I was coming from a home that was 10 by 15 and dirt floor, <laughs> no electricity, you know, and, and to come to a home which had an upstairs and a downstairs I'd never seen in my life and <laughs> sleep in a bed instead of sleeping on sheepskin rug, you know, and smelling like the lambs in the morning. <laughs> and you know, I bet you miss that sometimes. I, oh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, I woke up on the floor every morning at for 30, 30 days until I got used to it. My mom, foster mom said, you know, we have a nice soft bed. I said, I know. But, you know, coming from that and then realizing what truly a Lamanite was and finding out who I am, Bill was a big testimony builder. There's a girl... And you're uh, high that I was joking around one day and I said, you're such a crazy Indian. And she stopped in her tracks and she looked at me and she says, I am not an Indian. I'm a Lamanite. <laughs> and when she said that, I just it just stopped me in my tracks. And I says, you know, you're right. You are a Lamanite. We are a Lamanite. And she says, I Lehi is my father. I said, I know, I know he's my ancestral father. And that, and when you, you know, when you introduce the Book of Mormon to people of the Lamanite nation, they, when they make that connection, it is a connection that never leaves them, never leaves them. And that's how I feel about the Book of Mormon. That's awesome. Mike, I know you probably feel very similar to that, but uh, do you have any, uh, want to share a couple of things there? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just taking it all in. <laughs> it, it's <clears throat> especially this, this last summer we visited, um, Nauvoo. Yeah. And went up on the <clears throat> Curly property, the, uh, the cemetery there, which is a very powerful place. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I actually call it the uh, Nephite National Cemetery. <laughs> yeah. the, the amount of mounds there. <clears throat> but you know, when you're reading in the Book of Mormon, you're taught and you're reading about how the Nephites and Lamanites are running across the river and up on the banks. <clears throat> it was just amazing how that would just come to light and you'd be able to see it in your mind's eye. You're there in the area where it happened. You know, it was it was a it was a very neat experience being there, and and, and having that witness and having our children and grandchildren with us. Yeah, well, no doubt. But well, the the, the uh, a couple of the uh, when it when it comes down to the uh, the knowledge of of the uh, the gospel and then the Book of Mormon and uh, and and 
you know, thank you for sharing some of your uh, your thoughts about that as a Native person, because that is really what the Book of Mormon is all about. In fact, uh, we talked about in the first um, episode that there's a difference between the gospel, which is basically inward reflecting, or basically looking at um, our, our our own personal salvation, and the fullness of the gospel, which was what the Book of Mormon is said to to have, even though it doesn't have things like the endowment ceremony and so many things that it does not have. So the fullness right. of the gospel and the gospel are two different things, and what they are, one is inward looking, the other one is outward looking. When you are converted, convert your brethren, and that's what and that's what the fullness of the gospel is. And that is basically what the, but really the, the, the main fullness of the gospel means the, the, re, the, the restoration of the covenant people back to God's plan. And, uh, and I see that happening and it's so, so beautiful to see native people and the, those, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize how many people have native connections you know, for example, I didn't know that I had a Native American background until I got DNA tested, and uh, and all of a sudden it said you have uh, you have you know uh, American Indian uh, ancestry, and I'm going well, <laughs> I had no idea about that because I my my father's side, as far as I know, was all from Scotland, and my mom's side was all from England, so uh, so I don't know where that uh, that came in, but uh, but actually, if the Stoddard information is correct, then maybe. I could actually have, uh, you know, the blood of Lehi's family in my in myself, and that makes us all brothers and sisters when yeah, it comes down right. to it. And uh, so, so yeah, my that's where we we met up with uh, Wayne May in Nauvoo also, and he he told us that he got his DNA done, and he he's like thirty four percent native. It's amazing, and his grandson, if you've seen his grandson. He definitely looks like a little reservation boy running around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that there's a there's been a, a common misconception that that uh, you know that native uh, people are or that, that, that people from that have a, a ancestry from Europe have no native connection. But uh, when we understand how the Nephites and, uh, and, and even, I'm sure, the Lamanites, how they moved around on the face of the earth and, and went from place to place, and if they went to Europe and actually intermarried you know, with, the, with the people over there, plus we have the, uh, the, the remnant of the Ten Tribes uh, there as well. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so it, it, I think it's fascinating that we have, uh, uh, we, when we were talking with the uh, well, I bet, let's see, let's see, that's going to come in a later episode. <laughs> you better cut that part out. <laughs> As I said, we were talking with Tim Ballard. He talked about how uh, when the when the pilgrims came over, that actually it was the meeting of of uh, of of Joseph, of the of both both uh, groups of Joseph. Anyway, yeah, we'll have to cut that part out because that's not Tim's part's not going to come for another couple or three weeks. So <laughs> it's kind of hard to keep all this stuff straight as to. Uh, what's going on in these, in these podcasts here. Anyway, so, um, uh, let's see. I think that's, a, that's a, probably anything else you guys wanted to share real quick. Um, I have another scripture here. Okay. This is, um, you have a scripture you'd like to share with us here, Mike. Yeah. First Nephi. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> I, that that's a nice looking edition of the Book of Mormon. 
thank you. It, it, it's verse 15. In First in, in Nephi, verse 15. Chapter what? Chapter, um, no. Chapter, I'm sorry, First Nephi, chapter 3, verse 15. Okay. Chapter, yeah, it's on page 7. Okay. Yeah, it's chapter four. First Nephi, chapter four. Chapter four. Fifteen. Okay, we'll, we'll start from there. So let, let's uh, so let, let, let me start that whole segment again. Okay, so uh, Mikey had a, a scripture you wanted to share? Sure. This is in First Nephi, chapter four, verse 15. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it says, Yea, and I also thought that they could not keep my commandments of the Lord according to the law of Moses, say that they should have the law <clears throat> and i also knew that the law was engraven upon the plates of brass and again i knew that the lord had delivered laban into the hands into my hands for this cause that i might obtain the record according to his commandments so there's many reasons why not only the genealogy but to be able to Keep the law of Moses and have the law of Moses. And then also knowing the genealogy that they came from Joseph, that we were just talking about. And it even talks about the same Joseph that was in Egypt. Mm -hmm. so, so, do you see any parallels um, when it comes down to living the laws of Moses between uh, some of the laws of Moses that are there and, uh, and some native traditions? Oh, well, yeah. with, with the Navajo, their big thing is sheep. <laughs> and, the, and then with the Pueblos and the Isletas and the Zunis, they have feast days. Yes. Where they have feasts. And then with, it, with the Navajo, when we have ceremonial dances and what we call, uh, we have healing times. And those kind of things, they have a fast where they actually fast before they have the ceremony. It's called a squat dance. They uh -huh. actually do fasts during that time that they have those. Yeah, I find I find some other interesting parallels that that, that go on. Um, on in in the uh, the annotated edition of the Book of Mormon, I think it's on. If I wrote it down right, it's page uh, one forty six. If you want to jump on over there. It, uh, it talks about here in, in, in Numbers, basically, in the Old Testament, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations. And I, and I find that's, a, that's an interesting parallel as well. Here we have the children of Israel being commanded by the Lord to have fringes in their garment. And, uh, yeah. and so you can see, actually, the talits. Uh, which is the prayer shawls of the of the Hebrews or the Jews, and one of the things that makes Native American uh, clothing uh, unique from other, any, really almost any other people, are the fringes associated with the uh, with that. And I think that's uh, that could be. Uh, do you think that may be a possibility of a, being a kind of a throwback to the uh, Hebrew origins of Native peoples? We see it all throughout the the especially in mine um and a kachina doll especially when you see a, one of the kachina dancers they're ceremonial dancers and they have an apron 
and they have a um, their hang their they're tied with the bow on the right. I mean, and then they have the side. They have this the tie, the bow tie on the right. They have a sash. Yeah, and the sash, and then the apron. I mean, they're. I believe that the most of the natives they don't really. Some of them don't understand exactly what their meaning is because they've lost that uh, story behind it. But I'm sure the ones that are that know what the meaning, their true meaning, sacred meaning are are the elders. You know, they know that what those meanings are. And it, I find that so interesting when I see those old depictions and pictures of the Navajos, their tie on their head is always on the right. The bow is always on the right. And I, I just get chills when I see that and I think, wow, do they know, you know? Yeah. They have it. They just don't remember it. It's, it's either suppressed or it's so sacred they can't say. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's actually been uh, one, kind of one of the difficulties I've heard of of some native uh, people is that they, when they when they hear the gospel, it's so similar to what they have been taught that they often don't see that there's a big difference, and they don't realize some of the plain and precious truths that have been lost um, through the uh, the traditions of the fathers, kind of thing. And uh, and but it's 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 wonderful and beautiful, and we are so grateful to have so many of our of our uh, native. Uh, family members, basically, and friends um, who are um, joining the the church and, and, and taking an active part in it. Well, I have my sister and her husband, my oldest sister in the family, they teach the temple class for on the reservation, getting these uh, brothers and sisters ready to go to the temple. And when they get to the temple and after they finish or during the sessions, they're, they're, they're in tears. They're so emotional, and they are so touched by the spirit as the truth that they're seeing and hearing is familiar. The spirit testifies to them of the truthfulness that very instant. And she says it's such a spiritual um, time to see these brothers and sisters go through the temple. And that's exactly what happened with my mom. When I was sitting next to her in the Mesa Temple, I'll never forget, she turned over, to, she looked over at me and she says, she yes, which means I knew this, I've seen this, it's true. And that's where the Lamanite people, the native people need to be. They need to go to the temple. They need to know who they are. It, it's like a stamp on an envelope. You know, it, it's done. We've, we've got the whole truth. The temple work is the truth. That's where the, we want to see our brothers and sisters, our lady and brothers and sisters. That's right. That's right. And that, and that is the, uh, the goal of the, uh, of the church is to, uh, to bring to pass uh, lots of uh, Native people to return back, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and to uh, have them come back to this covenant with the Lord. Yeah. That one thing that Betty and I have noticed that, you know, if you do, just like in the Book of Mormon, when the, when the Lamanites became <clears throat> converted, they, they were converted for life. And we have seen that in so yeah. many people that have really been converted. They're, they're still strong. 
and stalwart and and uh, they become state presidents they become bishops grant presidents and so on and we just we wanted you to know rod that we just really really are just so thankful for the mission that you and the firm foundation is on to bring about this the message and how important that's what attracted me to you was hearing that after so many years of nothing being said about the women art and the push to get them to blossom kind of died down and fizzled out for a while there for about 20 years or so maybe even more and then to hear this because i wasn't a believer at first you know i didn't really listen to anything because mike, mike was the one that listened and i was watched. mike okay yeah and then that was back when you had hair. <laughs> yeah, that's a long. a long time ago. <laughs> and then I and then I heard and then I heard you talk about the Lamanites and how Joseph Smith went and, and taught them and they, that was the first mission that Joseph Smith called the missionaries to and that's when I said, hey, hold on a second, I've got to listen to this. And ever since then, I have been hungry and hungry to hear the stories and. And I have been finding them in the Joseph Smith papers and with your, with the firm foundation. It's been, it's just been a beautiful thing. And Mike and I, we just want all the Lamanites to hear that message and the message of the Book of Mormon. Well, we we are excited about having uh, some of the remnant covenant people of God to come and, 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 uh, and share some information with us here today. And, and I want to thank you for that. And uh, we're going to go ahead and, Everything you do, and get and thank you. All right, so we're going to go back to the um, back to uh, the uh, the scriptures here in just a little bit. I want to thank uh, Mike and Betty LaFontaine from Florida, from Jacksonville area, right. Northeast Florida, uh, and uh, and and look for Betty in the uh, in the new uh, videos, <laughs> Book of Mormon videos of the church, because. Uh, you're in there. Tell, tell, just really quickly, where where uh, where are you in the videos? Uh, I we're in. I'm in the one with uh, King Lamoni. Oh, um, nice. And that probably won't come out till maybe late spring. Uh-huh. And we're looking at. I'm looking at possibly doing uh, Christ in America in the summer. Oh, very nice. Well, so how, how many of the people? How many of the people that were in the cast were uh, Native American? There were so many. There were so <laughs> many. There was a big group of us um, that were Navajo, Zuni, Pueblo, um, Ute. Uh, there was one from Tola uh, Ono down in um, the border of Mexico and Arizona. I mean, the testimonies of these Lamanites was awesome. And to see them there being a part of this uh, Book of Mormon videos was, was just so touching. I mean, and everybody, the spirit was so strong. Um, to hear them talk about the Book of Mormon and just <laughs> identify with those peoples and their ancestors, you know, our ancestors of the Book of Mormon was just yeah. beautiful. In fact, while we're on that subject, just for a second, I just want to uh, thank the the church film department and the brethren for uh, for 
Um, they, 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 were, they were told in pretty much no uncertain terms that they wanted to have it being neutral as far as geography is concerned. And I love it that this is the first time we have the church uh, coming out with these videos. And there's, there's not a single Mayan pyramid stone pyramid in there that's which by the way is never mentioned in the in the book of mormon and no jaguars which are never mentioned in the book of mormon or or you know monkeys or or jungles are not mentioned in the book of mormon either it's nice to see them uh, being uh, more neutral and so uh you know and and I, and I really love the fact that so many of our actual remnant of the uh, of the of the book of mormon people are actually uh having roles in those in those in those videos it's just beautiful. yeah the casting direct the casting director was eagerly and seeking out the natives of the of this country from sea to sea sea to shining sea <laughs> all over the place looking for what they called true lamanites to be on the cast and that was that was a term that they used when they wrote Betty the letter and asked her to be in it and she's been chosen because she is a true Lamanite. Yeah, that is fantastic. And what's so beautiful about the whole thing is right before we were going to start initially filming, we got in our clothes and everything, our costumes and stuff, and they handed out, I don't know who the guy was, but he started handing out these necklaces and and these necklaces with the effigy pipe. We all, uh, who the Monites on we got one of those epic necklaces. I thought, wow. <laughs> this, the word of this really touched me. I was just so impressed with that. And I knew you guys would be happy about that. <laughs> Well, we're very happy with uh, with uh, all those who have been involved with the church's uh, the, the the new uh, Book of Mormon videos um, that, that that have a powerful spirit with them, and, uh, and and we're we're grateful that it's not so obviously promoting the Central American ideas that have, of the past, but are are showing back, returning back to what Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery and and so many others talked about, and 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 I, and I guess I would have to say the Lord Himself. When he talked to, uh, when he gave the revelations of sections 28, 30, and 32, and commanded Joseph Smith to send missionaries, the very first missionaries that ever were called. Before anybody was sent to anyone else, the Lord wanted to have missionaries to go to, and he called them the Lamanites. And every single one of those, uh, so if you if you want to go back to and find out who these people are, um, they, they, they uh, immediately dispatched uh, four missionaries. There's Oliver Cowdery, Peter Whitmer Jr., Parley P. Pratt, and Ziba Peterson. And in section 32, the Lord says, and I myself will go with them and be in their midst. He said, I am their advocate with the Father and nothing shall prevail against them. I think the Lord wants to um, gather his covenant people. And he started off right at that moment in time. And he, and he said that the people that, that they were going to be led to were Lamanites. Yeah. I see no reason to doubt the Lord in those in those verses. Yeah. <clears throat> it was a beautiful experience. I I was very impressed with the cast on the set. The spirit was so strong. Um there was a time when uh the the actor that played Ammon found out through his DNA that he was part Lamanite. And he just loved being with the with the natives there. He he just 
says, I just feel your spirit. And, I, and we taught him what his people, his culture was about. And he was in tears. He was so happy to, to hear wow. about his people. So, yes, that, that, that whole experience was, was something I'll never forget. Did you have much interaction with uh, Elder Larry Echo Hawk? I have not. I have not. I have, I, Mike and I haven't even met him yet, so Rod... Uh. Because he, because he's actually, uh, he, he's he's one that's a, it's a good friend of mine, and he, um, he was actually the the director of the Bureau of Indian Affairs was over right. over five hundred tribes in in the United States. About I can't remember. He said something about uh, I don't know how many tens of thousands of employees and so forth. But uh, but he is such a powerful individual, and uh, we look forward to a lot of great things coming from him as well in the future. So visited the Navajo people down on the reservation and yeah. they really enjoyed his visit. My sister actually was a part of that. So yeah, and also in Oklahoma. Spirit is really strong, especially with the native men when they the ones that hold the priesthood. They are they're the ones that are going to be I'm sorry. The natives with the priesthood. They're the ones that are going to be at the forefront um, when the Lord himself comes. And he will, the priesthood of the native people, they will be there. They will greet him and they will be given assignments. I just see that happening and I'm so excited about that. And those men are important, the priesthood. They're very important and part of all, you know, the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Listen, thank you so much for for joining us here and uh, and for participating in this in, in this podcast. Uh, we wanted to uh, um, thank everybody for for uh, for watching this and uh, and we want to encourage you to to uh, share it with your friends and your your neighbors and your family members and let more people know about this uh, this this amazing book that we have been given the privilege of having. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us, Ron. In the annotated edition of the Book of Mormon, which is the, 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 the reference material that we are using uh, primarily for these podcasts here, um, it, in, in the, the very bottom of page one, it's talking about the first, the, uh, in the first book of Nephi here, um, it talks about many prophets. And it's interesting, as members of the church, we often consider that, there's only, that there can only ever be one prophet at a time on the earth. But actually, the Book of Mormon actually talks about that there were many prophets. Lehi was not the only prophet of his time. During that time, there were, there were several other prophets like Zedekiah, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Uriah, and then also you had Habakkuk and Micah were still were, were alive during this same time frame. And uh, Daniel was at the Babylonian court, and Ezekiel was among the exiles in Babylon. Uh, there were all these different prophets who were all, all testifying that if the covenant people of God do not change their ways and return back to him, that they were going to be swept off the land. And so that's, I just wanted to point that out. It says here in verse 4 of First Nephi, it says, For it came to pass in the commencement of the first reign of the king, the reign of Zedekiah, the king of Judah, my father Lehi, having dwelt at Jerusalem in all his days, and in that same year there came many prophets, prophesying unto the people that they must repent or the great city Jerusalem would be destroyed. That also reminds me of another time in the Book of Mormon where you have the prophet Nephi just prior to the coming of Christ, and the Lord has to send a second prophet in, basically by the name of Samuel, the Lamanite, 
to come in and, and, and be a second witness against the people of their, of their wickedness, that they, that they weren't following their prophet. So uh, that's an interesting aspect of this as well. Uh, then going over here to the family of, of, uh, of Lehi, when they first enter into the wilderness, the family of Lehi consisted of, this is from uh, chapter 2, and this is verse 5, uh, that, we did, that he did travel in the wilderness with his family, which consisted of my mother, Sariah, my elder brothers, who were Laman, Lemuel, and Sam. But uh, later on, we know that there were two additional sons that were born to Sariah, and that was uh, Joseph and Jacob. And this was the, 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 the family of, of Nephi. And then we're going to get into more of the family of the, them and also of Ishmael later on. We, we briefly are going to mention in, the, in another um, interview the, uh, the fact that um, when Lehi left Jerusalem, it says here in verse 7 of chapter 2, and it came to pass that he built an altar of stones. Now, an altar of stones was something that, according to the Jewish law, you couldn't build an altar unless you were at least three days' journey away from the temple because they were expected to go to the temple rather than just build their own altars. And the altars had to be stones that were not hewn. Um, in fact, uh, the Lord actually told the, the, the Hebrews that if you lift up thy tool upon it, meaning the altar, uh, you have polluted it because you are to, you're to be worshiping not the work of your own hands, but the work of God. So they had to be natural rock stacked up, basically, um, into an altar. And that's what, uh, that's what uh, he would have built there. Uh, just like Adam's altar and the Nephite altar at Adam on and other altars. Um, if you are, have carved altars, that is not acceptable to God, basically, in this particular uh, case. But there's also another situation that they had to be these three, three days away. And, it, and it's interesting because it talks about specifically that they had gone away from Jerusalem sufficiently that Lehi could then, according to the law, go ahead and build an altar. And that's another um, aspect of this that just most, most folks are not aware of. In verse 13, it says, Neither did they believe that Jerusalem, that great city, could be destroyed. Why do you think it is that the, that the uh, Jews thought that they couldn't be destroyed? They just only a, a, a hundred and something years prior to that, at 722 B.C., the northern tribes had been destroyed by the Assyrians. Um, why did the southern tribe think that they were immune from being destroyed? Well, it may be a couple of different things. Number one, they knew that there was this covenant that God gave to Abraham that as long as they were righteous, that they would be protected, that they would have this shield, this dome of protection over them as a righteous people. What they didn't realize is that they had to be righteous. <laughs> That's where the problem is. They, had become, they, they were starting to fall into idolatry and wickedness as a people. They also had the, the, um, the Ark of the Covenant, which they understood to be basically God would fight their battles for them um, and through the Ark that, they, that no one could, could destroy them. And so that's another aspect why they may not have believed that the Jerusalem could be destroyed. They, it was, obviously, it was a great city, um, but they really, the, the Jews apparently really believed in this tradition that they were impervious to attack just because they had the Ark of the Covenant and they were the covenant people and God had made this covenant with Abraham to protect them. But unfortunately, like I said before, 
when the people fall into uh, righteousness, when they reject God, God cannot continue to bless them with those blessings. In verse 15, it says, And my father dwelt in a tent. Now, I find that very interesting also, because uh, in Jerusalem, they had adobe homes, basically. A lot of them were adobe and, 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 and those kinds of things. Um, but when they, when they moved out into the wilderness, obviously, they had to have portable housing. And so, uh, just like in the, in, the, in the wonderful new uh, Book of Mormon video series uh, put out by the church, uh, they show them in, this, in a tent uh, situation there. Um, interestingly enough, tents are used throughout the Book of Mormon. Uh, we have uh, around the time of Mosiah, when you have the, all of the men pitch their tents with the door thereof facing the temple so that they could listen to the, the, you know, the king, basically, uh, in, in his sermons. Um, later on, even all the way to the very end of the Book of Mormon, they talked about that they did pitch their tents round about the Hill Cumorah, which basically meant that everybody still had a tent. Tents were an essential part of, of life in the ancient times, and, and it's, on, it's all throughout the Book of Mormon that they, they lived in tents. In verse 16, it says, And it came to pass that I, Nephi, being exceeding, exceeding young, nevertheless being large in stature, and also having great desires to know of the mysteries of God, wherefore I did cry unto the Lord, and behold, he did visit me and did soften my heart, that I did believe all the words which had, not been, which had been spoken by my father. The, the thing I wanted to point out here is the physical attributes of Nephi. He said he was large in stature. Why do you think that he would include this in his record? I don't think it was to brag about his physique. I think he was doing that to let people know that these people, he and his people, were large people. And that's another interesting aspect as it relates to the remnant of these people. Um, wouldn't they also then be large in stature? And if that's the case, um, if you take a look at the Native American tribes um, in the northeastern part of the United States, um, most of them would fit perfectly well in any other European group as far as their, their height, their, their, their stature, um, and so forth. But uh, those who have been down into Central America have ever, ever taken a look at the Mayan people, those people who are descendants of the Mayans. Um, I don't think anybody would ever accuse them of being large in stature because they are very small, um, powerfully built people, but very small, and they're not large in stature, um, whereas the Native Americans in North America are. Let's see here, a couple of other things. Um, it talks about the up and down. We're going we're to talk about this in more detail in future uh, podcasts. But what does this up and down mean? When it says that, uh, for example, and, uh, and this is in uh, this is chapter 3, verse 9, it says, And I, Nephi, and my brethren took our journey into the wilderness with our tents to go up to the land of Jerusalem. What exactly does up and down mean in the Scriptures? Because it's throughout the Book of Mormon, if we're going to have an understanding of, of the geography aspects of it and, uh, and, and how things relate with each other, we need to understand what they mean when they say up or they say down. Um, throughout the, uh, the Book of Mormon, they talk about going up. For example, almost every instance in the Book of Mormon, it says they went up into the land of Nephi. But whenever referring to the land of Zarahemla, they went down into the land of Zarahemla. Does that mean that down is going south and up is going north? Or is it something else? In, in this particular case, we have a, a, an excellent example here in 1 Nephi uh, chapter 3. They went up to the land of Jerusalem. 
And from where they were at, verse 15, it says, And behold, I said unto them that as the Lord liveth and as we live, we will not go down unto our Father in the wilderness until we've accomplished the thing which the Lord has commanded us. So they go up if they go to Jerusalem. They go down if they're going to the wilderness. And interestingly enough, if you take a look at the topography and the elevation of the, of the area there, um, from Jerusalem, you go down to the, the Dead Sea, basically, the Jericho area. Okay, the, Jer the Dead Sea is about 1,412 feet below sea level, whereas Jerusalem is 2,474 feet above sea level, giving a difference of approximately about uh, 3,900 feet between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. But yet, when you go from the, uh, from the Dead Sea to Jerusalem, you go north. So if, it was, if they were talking about up being north, basically, in that particular case, they would be actually going up in that direction. But, but, we, but what we understand from, the, uh, from, from additional research and things that, uh, that when they talk about up and down in the Book of Mormon, they're talking about elevation and not the cardinal directions. So First uh, Nephi chapter 4, um, and this is uh, verse 15, Yea, and I, and I also thought that they could not keep the, the, keep the commandments of the Lord according to the law of Moses. We're going to talk a lot about the law of Moses. We have Amberly Nelson is going to be uh, talking about uh, the laws of Moses. She is an expert on that subject. And we're just excited about the, some of the next things that are going to be coming up here. Um, let's see. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about the land of promise and, uh, and, and so forth. Again, if you'd like to uh, see that we're going to be using this annotated edition of the Book of Mormon, we're going to be talking about uh, next, next week, we're going to be talking about the, um, this, which is a beautiful painting here. This is by John McNaughton, and it's about the Tree of Life and Lehi's vision about, of, of the Tree of Life. We're going to talk all about that um, this next week. And then, and then later on, we'll be getting into the voyage to... Um, America, basically, which is a, this is another another beautiful painting of uh, of Lehi's ocean voyage. Basically, here this is by Frank Thomas. It said the dawn, dawn of a promised land. The prophet Lehi goes ashore in the Americas. So we'll just talk a little bit more about that. We want to remind everybody that they, they can find this on YouTube and Facebook, and also on our Book of Mormon Evidence streaming site. And uh, we're excited about uh, sharing this and continue to share this information every week. So tune in next week and we'll see you to talk about First uh, Nephi chapters 8 through 10. Thank you. Thank you for watching the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast. If you'd like to watch hundreds of more amazing presentations, be sure to go to bookofmormonevidencestreaming.com and sign up. You can watch free trailers just by putting in your email.